Hello, you're listening to Dr. Baz of Grace Life Church in Naples, Florida. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word. And may God's Spirit speak a personal word to you through it. Well, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 3 to 5, maybe a couple of other verses. And we're looking at the fragrance of an empty vase. It was discovered in 1772. It was discovered on Easter Sunday. And so the explorers named it Easter Island. But as one writer said, Easter doesn't belong on an island. Easter is rather a part of the great mainland of truth, the great continent of hope. So you can't push Easter off on some irrelevant doctrinal island, and that's because it is at the very heart of Christianity. Uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is not only a reverend, whatever a reverend is, but he's also the United States Senator for Georgia, he appears to be trying to do that. He said recently, the, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent, he means more important, the meaning of Easter is more important than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, really? So pray tell, what, as far as Easter is concerned, is more important than the resurrection of Jesus? He goes on, that is, whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment of helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Is that astonishing? Well, first of all, you cannot save yourself. And secondly, salvation is only possible because of the resurrection. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If not, you cannot be saved. Okay, now look at our verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's the third verse. But I want you to look at the second part of the verse. In his mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through, through what? The resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. But old Reverend Warnock, who claims that saving yourself is more important than the resurrection of Jesus, like millions of others, apparently just simply cannot tolerate the idea of a resurrected and therefore living Christ and why is that? 1 Peter 4, 5 tells us why. Because they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And boy, are they hostile to that. Uh, Paul says in Acts 24, 21, he says, It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Acts 4.2, they were greatly disturbed. Why was the crowd greatly disturbed? Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Acts 17.32, when they heard about the resurrection, as some of them sneered. No sinner wants a resurrected Christ who can and will hold them accountable for their sins. So you can mock the resurrection all you like, but your display of hatred at the very idea of ever being held accountable only adds proof to it. The French philosopher Ernest Renan, believing that there was nothing to Christianity, he wrote, Christianity is just the fragrance 
of an empty vase. Now, of course, he didn't mean to compliment it, but he did, because Christianity, and especially Easter, is all about the fragrance of an empty tomb. Okay, now I want you to notice who First Peter is written to. It's written to believers in need of comfort, or, or as he puts it in verse 3, in need of a living hope. And, and why is that? He gives us two reasons as to why it is that they were in need of a living hope. And the first is that they were strangers in a hostile world. Look at verse 1. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This, of course, is a perfect description of the predicament of every true believer ever since. There are strangers in a hostile world. Well, why are believers strangers in a hostile world? Look at verse 2. Here we're told that we are those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Well, when you choose things, you choose them out of something. What were we chosen out of? In John 15, 19, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, you don't belong to the world I've chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Because, as Philippians says, that our citizenship is now in heaven, we're therefore living as foreigners in a hostile world where we and everything that we stand for is going to be despised. In John 15, 19, just a little bit earlier, he says, if you belong to the world, then they would love you. They would love you as their own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. And no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So he looks at his audience that he's writing to, and Peter says, you're in need of a living hope. And, and, and the first reason is because I know that you're strangers in a hostile world. And then secondly, he said, it's because you're being made holy by God. Look at verse 2. To God's elect, strangers in the world who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God our Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, if you're being sanctified, that means you're being made holy. That's, it's the same Greek word. Uh, so it's the being made holy work of the Holy Spirit, and here's the proof of it, for obedience to Christ Jesus. Now, it's an age-old saying. You don't really need me to repeat it to you. But dead fish, they all just float downstream. It's the sign of a live fish that it's swimming upstream against the current. How easy is it to just go with the flow? Well, that is until you remember that uh, the current of this culture is eventually heading off a precipice of fire. Uh, by contrast, the very definition of a spiritual life is that it's always being buffeted wherever it goes against the current. So it's one thing to be rejected just simply because you're an unwelcome foreigner, but it's yet another thing is when we go around parading and upholding God's holy standards. That, that's, that's infuriating for the unbeliever, and it's even infuriating for the spiritually dead religious person. R.C. Sproul says 
the Pharisees had a superficial fake holiness. Jesus had a real holiness. Until Jesus came along, the Pharisees may have appeared to be holy to others around them. But when Jesus arrived on the scene with his transcendent, perfect inner holiness, the holiness of the Pharisees was exposed for the empty facade that it truly was. So Peter writes, and he's writing to people who knows they're strangers in the world, a world that's positively hostile to believers. And he says, I want to write comfort to you. And how does he do it? He looks at you and me, and he sees grief in our life, rejection in our life, whatever it is that we happen to be dealing with. And he says, I got good news. Because of the resurrection, remember, as a believer, you have a living hope. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul speaks about God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus, our hope. And the Greek word that is translated there, hope, is the word elpis, and it doesn't mean hope so. It's a very confident hope. It's exactly the same Greek word that's used in Hebrews 6.19, which speaks of, of having this hope in us as an anchor for the soul. Of course, by contrast, Ephesians 2.12 says that if you're without God, you're without hope, without elpis in the world. Now, somebody said if you're going to have a living hope, if you're never going to have a dying hope, if you don't have a living hope, dying's not going to be that easy. Um, let me read you the last words of some famous atheists. Voltaire, who was a famous atheist and spent much of his life opposing Christianity, his last words were, for an atheist, this is extraordinary, I'm abandoned by God and man, then I shall go to hell. Those are his last words. Charles IX, the king of France, as he looked back upon his life on his deathbed, he said, what blood, what murders, what evil counsels I have followed. I'm lost. I see it well. And then there's Mazarin, who is a, actually a French cardinal, whose last words were, oh, my poor soul, what will become of you? Where will you go? Let me throw another one in. This is Francis Newport, who is the head of a well-known English atheist club, who on his deathbed was recorded as saying, you need not tell me that there's no God, for I know there's one. I'm in his presence. You do not need to tell me there's no hell. I feel myself already slipping. Cease your idle talk about there being any hope for me. I know that I'm lost forever. That's how he died. That's how they died. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 35, God speaking about the atheists, it said, in due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. And of course, Hebrews 10, 27 says... Nothing awaits them except a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
But you see, if you're a believer, you've got a living hope. And if you've got a living hope, you're going to have a dying hope. One of Augustus top ladies' last words before he closed his eyes in death, he's the fellow who wrote the hymn Rock of Ages. He said, the consolations of God to such an unworthy wretch are so abundant that God leaves me with nothing to pray for but a continuance of them. I enjoy heaven already in my soul. What a difference. Where do you get this kind of hope? Look at verse 3, second half of it. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. It's the new birth. You've got to be born again. Of course, it is just as well that the Christian throughout his life has a living hope because as soon as he's born again and starts standing up for God, he's going to experience opposition, if not persecution. Covey John said, if you're born again and thankful and you're verbal about why you're blissful to those who are hostile to the gospel because they're sinful, they're going to (laughs) squiggle. They're going to get upset. You get this living hope by being born again. How do you get born again? You believe the gospel. What's the gospel? You're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You need a savior. The savior came He lived that perfect life you could never live. He went to the cross. Your sin was placed on him. He suffered the punishment that you should have suffered so that whosoever believes, repents of their sin, should not perish but have everlasting life. And the moment you repent and believe, your sin is transferred to Christ and that righteous life that he lived is credited to your account. The only way that you can stand before a holy God. So it's belief in his gospel that gives you this living hope What difference does hope make in life? I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying all the difference in all the world. A parade magazine gives us the true account of a self-made multimillionaire. His name was Eugene Land. He's invited to speak to a class of sixth graders in East Harlem. And it records, what could he say to inspire these students, most of whom were set on dropping out of school? He wondered how he could get these predominantly black and Puerto Rican children even to look at him. So scrapping his notes, he decided to speak to them from his heart. Stay in school, he admonished, and I'll pay the college tuition of every one of you. At that moment, the lives of these students changed. For the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to, something wonderful waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And nearly 90% of the class went on to graduate from high school. How is this hope made available? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you're rejected by the world, When you're despondent for whatever reasons, Peter comes along and says, well, do you remember? You're a believer. You have a living hope. There is something wonderful waiting for you. Remember that. And not only do you have a living hope, you have a liberal mercy. Look at verse 3. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. 
Do you know there's no other blessing that could ever be received from God if you didn't get the mercy of God? There's nothing available. And so for the struggling person, Peter says, when you're struggling, one of the great tonics, one of the great comforts is continual meditation on what he calls the great mercy that God has given us. John, the apostle, in John 1.16, he says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And we didn't earn it. It was in spite of us. We just think of the sin that we've committed since we knew Jesus Christ. But the good news is Romans 5.20 says, where our sin abounded, God's grace did much more abound. And how did, how did this mercy and grace become available to us? Was well, the two things we, the text keeps talking about is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, Christ's death, which canceled our sin debt. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says that he was crushed for our iniquities. It was our sin that crushed him so that he could forgive us. Somebody said God's forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. And of course, secondly, through the resurrection of Jesus, a living hope. Jesus said, because I live, speaking of his resurrection, you will live also. So as a believer, Peter says, I know you're down cost. I know you may not be popular but you have a living hope. You have this liberal great mercy. You have also a lasting inheritance. Look at verse four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Why, why is that? Why will it never perish? Lotus, he says, it's kept. And the word there is actually reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven, so it's a lasting inheritance. I remember a few years ago, I got on Craigslist and I found the dishwasher that I wanted, or we wanted, and then I contacted the owner who said to me, well, uh, you can't come over now, but it's yours. I'll reserve it for you. You can pick it up at 9 o'clock on Monday. So Debbie says, well, did you get it? Did you get it? I said, yeah, well, should we better go over there? No, no, it's okay. You can't pick it up till Monday, but it's all right. It's reserved. Well, so Monday at nine o'clock, I was there. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, no, I, I, I already sold that. Somebody came in here and paid cash for it. What went wrong? The answer was, that's all reserved means in this world because people are not men and women of their word. Whereas Hebrews chapter six, verse 18 says that it's impossible for God to lie. So what did his word promise regarding these things? Look at verse 4. He's given us a new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, reserved in heaven for you. So it's, this is his promise. It's not only reserved, it's as safe as it could possibly be because it's reserved in heaven. And on top of that, it's reserved in heaven for you. There's, it's not for some punk who's going to walk in and thinks he can get it paying cash for it. Now, there's always a theological stumbling block. Everything is a theological stumbling block to somebody. And there are people who will say, well, I just don't know how you can say and promise that it's a lasting inheritance. What if I quit on God? What if I just let go of him? 
I just quit holding on to God. Well, as if to anticipate this question, he answers it in verse 23. You've been born again and not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That means that the new life, the life of Christ that has been planted in you is imperishable. It's a lasting inheritance because it doesn't depend upon you holding on to it, to Christ. It's the spirit of Christ in you holding on to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, speaking to true converts, says, May God himself make you holy. You ever tried being holy? You can't do it, can you? It is God who has to make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How's that going to be guaranteed? Because the one who calls you, that's God, is faithful, and he will do it. That's why it's guaranteed Excuse me, that's why it's a lasting inheritance. So you downcast? Peter said, let me remind you, you have a living hope. You have liberal daily mercies. You have a lasting inheritance, and it's guaranteed by lifelong protection. Where is that? Look at verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Notice, through faith are shielded by God's power. So naturally, the human mind picks up on these words. Oh, it's so it's through faith that I'm shielded. Well, what if I choose not to believe anymore? You know, it's pretty difficult because that's an admission that you're a believer. Uh, but what if I just sort of give up the faith? What if I don't do, what if I, what if I do that? Okay. Let me remind you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace you saved through faith. This faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. You didn't drum it up. It's not your faith. You didn't grit your teeth and hold on and try to believe in God. This is a divine faith that if you don't have it, you ask God for it, and he puts it in your heart. And that is why Hebrews 12, 2 says, so keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He's the completer, the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. Don't be looking to you. You can't perfect anything, much less can you perfect your faith. The same God that gave you the faith in the first place is the same God who promises to preserve that faith. And notice It says you were shielded by God's power, not by you gritting your teeth and holding on to the end. Well, how long is God's power going to keep doing that? He tells us until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You've got a living hope because it's you have guaranteed a lifelong divine protection of your inheritance. The ocean liner, the Titanic, uh, was built in Belfast in Ireland. Now, you know full well, it didn't do well. Uh, In 1912, it sank. Uh, And you might remember that their confidence in the construction of this edifice was such that they had, on its launch, chalked all the way down the side of it the unsinkable ship. It was made in Belfast. Just one church in Belfast lost 16 people in the disaster. 
An article of the day said, so deep was the grief that men met on the streets, clasping hands and in tears parted without saying a word. Well, it so happened that there was a, <clears throat> a visiting American preacher who was preaching in, in Belfast at that time. So when the Titanic sank that Sunday, you can be sure his building was packed. His sermon title was The Unsinkable Ship. But the sermon, he said, was not about the Titanic. It was about a frail little boat on the Sea of Galilee that was unsinkable because the master of the sea was in the boat. And that is precisely what Peter is saying here, is if you've got Christ on board in your life, you are shielded by God's power. You have a lifelong protection. Now, of course, somebody's always going to say, but but isn't it true that there are some people who, who just abandon the whole faith, they quit on the whole thing, they become apostate, they leave, they never come back. What about them? Well, it's a good point. First uh, John 2, 19 squares us away on that. It says they went out from us. This is God's word. But they didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John says... If you want to know about them, they weren't ever saved. They were never true converts. But if you are saved, if you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you've got a living hope, a liberal mercy, a lasting inheritance, lifelong protection. And then finally, of course, you've got a legitimate joy in the face of trials. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice now for a little while. You may have had to suffer griefs of all kinds of trials. Now, I say a legitimate joy because it's not from the world. It's legitimate because it's on the inside. It couldn't possibly come from the world because it, it flourishes in the middle of trials. Well, so where does it come from? Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, he's talking about Jesus, your Lord, you love him. You love him, and even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's a joy that comes from Christ that'll even flourish in the worst of times. As Paul said in Galatians, it's a joy that comes from living by faith in the Son of God that loved you and gave himself for you. This week, a medical surgeon named Jim Clark posted this online, and I, I just happened to bump into it. Today, I operated on a little girl. She needed type O negative blood. We didn't have any. But her twin brother has type O negative. So I explained to him that it was a matter of life and death. He sat quietly for a moment and then he went over to his parents and said goodbye. I didn't think anything of it until after we took his blood and he asked, so when am I going to die? He thought he was giving his life for hers. Thankfully, they will both be fine. But you see, Jesus did give his life for you. As the apostle Paul Peter later says, the just for the unjust. And John the Apostle, he said, greater love has no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. And truly, when he laid his life down, 
he was laying it down for his enemies because Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was only his death and re resurrection that took us, his enemies, and made us his best friends and gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that's the fragrance of an empty vase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in, in what you've done. And may it linger in our heart throughout the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bez. Tune in next week as we continue studying the Word of God. May God bless you.